0: makers. I'm Angie Powers.
1: I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Show. And today on Storymakers, what are we talking about? Well, we're going to talk about what we're working on, and then we're going to dive into this heady topic I know little about. Woohoo! And see how it applies to story. Okay. Well, what are you working on? Well, I had an, a remarkable almost four days. Was it four days? You guys, so... The family left on Tuesday Tuesday at, sort of, I dropped you off at 8 a.m., right? But I think I did have to go back and get something. But anyway, by 8.30, you were off into the wild blue yonder, and you came back at 3.30 on Friday. Mm -hmm. So that's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So really, it was like, essentially four days almost, right? Where it was just me and the dog at home here. And I finished my retype, my retyping, at least of the main character's story, and it was really remarkable. Like, I just loved this process so, so much. And there were so many times when I just thought, okay, this part's pretty good. I don't really need to retype it. And it it just helped me develop so much emotional consistency. And I actually think... Doing it this quickly for these last four days. I mean, so personally, you've developed emotional consistency? No, sorry. That would be really exciting <laughs> if you went away <laughs> for four days and I came back and found your wife emotionally consistent. <laughs> wow. And then you could wait for four more days and who knows what I might accomplish. Mm-hmm. No, just my character, <laughs> just in these 300 pages. <laughs> but, you know, it's taken her a long time too. So mm. um, it's just been a, such an amazing process. I'm definitely going to do it again mm-hmm. with a different book, hopefully. God, I mean, anyway. Um, so that's where I am. I finished the main framework of the story. Mm-hmm. And I have um, kind of a, the B story to, to, to redo. Right. And I think I am going to retype it in because I'm changing it quite a bit and just making it more causal mm-hmm. and tighter. Right. And then the C story is just working fine, so I'm just going to stick it in and edit it. I'm not going to retype it. I probably should, but I'm not. So, I mean, I might change my mind if, you know, it turns out, like, you know, that they don't have time to look at it or something. Then I'll just entertain myself. But anyway, I feel tremendously excited about it. I also learned how to get my computer to read to me in a monotone. Oh, great. Yeah. So I'm going to just tell you in case it's of interest to our readers. You give that a start. You're like, what else can I do while you tell me this? Now, this is super interesting, really, if, yeah. you're, if you're a yeah. techie nerd, and I'm not. Um, <laughs> but if, you're, if you have a Mac, you go to your system settings, right? You go to the Apple, and you go to system preferences, and you go to accessibility. And in accessibility, you click on speech, mm-hmm. and then you can choose the voice, and there are lots of voices. You can download voices. It can be British. It can be, you know... Uh, what we call male or female. It can be, different, and they all have different names, like Samantha and Alex. And you pick the voice, and you can then pick how fast it reads to you. And then you select your paragraph in your Word doc, and you hit um, option, oh God, F1 or something like that. <laughs> Well, anyway, you have to figure that out. It'll tell you. It'll tell. It tells you right there in this in the system. You click the on button. It'll be in the show notes. In the, no, 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 no. It sure, will not. But in the in the accessibility section under speech, where you're picking if it's Alex or Samantha and at what speed, it'll also say click here for this to be working, and then it'll tell you what key to press to make it work. Right.
0: And just to be clear, system preferences is available also very often through utilities or the
1: dock. And then you see accessibility is like a little person. In a blue circle. Right. It kind of should be the bathroom sign, really. If everybody, you know, could agree that we all have two legs. And then, yeah, there you go. And then you click at the bottom of that window. It says speak selected text when the key is pressed. And the current key is option plus escape. Oh, that's it. Mm -hmm. And you can change the key. Right. So that is really fun. And I have to say, in terms of defamiliarizing your own material that you've read 350,000 times. I liked that too. So I had I had the, the monotone read to me a bit, and uh, yeah, really fun. Well, while we're here, as long as you're in accessibility, and you want to
0: uh, enable dictation, you can do that through the same menu. Scroll down below speech, and you'll see interaction. Select dictation, and there you can actually... Uh, outline the commands you want, but you can also set up the keyboard shortcut that will work for you to get it going. So for me, it's function, function. And I will bring, and then I can start dictating into my... Wasn't that like
1: a 1970s grammar show? Function, function, <laughs> what's your conjunction? <laughs> um, all right, so uh, lots of excitement about the potential uses of and abuses of technology in revision. Angie, what have you been working on? Oh my gosh, I just,
0: you know, that I forgot as we were talking. I got really spaced out. Anyway. Um, the, what you've been working on? How about your four days away? So, my four days away were really amazing. We uh, took the kids, the school took the kids to China Camp State Park and we camped there during a deluge, oh, a complete rainstorm. Yeah. So much fun. And I think it really gave the kids a sense of accomplishment to have been outdoors during these incredibly intense weather systems. Um, And then, so we went and we saw the China Camp Village there, which was really cool. And, um, you know, they have a little tiny museum there and they have uh, just a cute little beach. It's a very small space, but it feels very of an era. It, it, it's like walking onto a set almost. Like it definitely put one in mind. There's our immigration um, camp. They no, it wasn't Angel Island. You oh, keep getting oh. those two mixed up. Oh, do I? Um, <laughs> so China Camp actually was before um, the Exclusion Act of 1882 came into effect. Uh, and it, it continued on through that, but um, it was established just after the um, gold rush. So it's inter- It's a big part of Marin history. And then, yes, we also went to Angel Island and went to visit the state park there and hear how precariously close that whole historical site came to being a campground with mm. all the buildings knocked down. So crazy. Yeah, ridiculous. So um, those were hugely engaging activities. We also went to Chinatown um, in San Francisco, and so
1: that was... Did you talk to them about Chinatown, Sebastopol being at the CVS?
0: I didn't really get a chance to because by the time we had come home, we had about half the kids we left with.
1: Could it be on Monday? Most of those kids made it home, but... um, So it was one of those learning, it was, you know, we are a deeply project-based learning school. And so it was like, you know, how about you walk home? Yes. And uh, see how that goes.
0: Exactly. Um, Actually, there was one parent, this kid was like, my food's cold. And the parent was like, pop it in the microwave. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, so
1: that's, that's what we did. It definitely made me think. (laughs) For some reason, that reminds me of the Monty Python movie where Jesus is is on the cross and somebody's like, I don't want to be hung next to him because he's a Jew. Uh And they're like, anyone who doesn't want to be hung with a Jew, raise raise your your hand. hand. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Why? 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 why?
0: But there (laughs) were a lot of fascinating stories at China camp. I actually encourage anybody who is at all interested in Northern California history to visit that location. There was a family that stayed long after it was, um, you know, a, thriving village i think at one point it had 500 people living in mm. that little village um and they dried shrimp little bay shrimp and so there's and wonderful your dad images knew and, them. and my dad well he knew grace and frank quan quan the the last of the quans who lived there right and so um yeah no frank just died a couple years ago mm. and he um The McNeers owned the property, and if you're, I mean, I'm not even going to go into this, because the McNeers, they have their own beach, they have all the, they're a big name in Marin, but they owned the property, they sold it to the State Parks Association in the late 60s, I think. The Quans. McNeers owned the property. Focus, focus. (laughs) I got a text. I got a text, and suddenly (laughs) I'm like, I've said that name seven times. Anyway, um, they sold it with the agreement that Frank could live out his life. On that property, Mm. and so he did, and so um, I think a couple of the grandchildren still run a little cafe there on the weekends, Mm. uh, which feels very 40s. There's an old, you know, gas pump there. It's a neat, neat place, and um, I want to thank the friends of China Camp, who are the nonprofit who run that now for, you know, providing us a docent and giving us some real perspective on, you know, that Northern California experience. It was really exciting. So what I'm working on is um, basically trying to, I think all of my entire life is what I'm working on
1: right now. (laughs) That's good. He takes take it in small chunks. Small
0: small chunks. Yeah. Yes. So. Or you
1: know, sometimes you get, get up and get up high and look down and be like, yeah or no.
0: Yeah. So I think maybe what we should do is just get to the point oh, because we've been that's
1: always an option. 10 minutes now oh into our podcast well, and
0: we haven't had a darn thing to say.
1: So, that's interesting. I think we've said very useful things both yes. about history and typing. Yes. True. But now we're <laughs> going to talk about neurology, the neurology of story. And if you've heard me talk about this, it's not what I talk about all the time, which I'll just say, you know, like Lisa Cron wrote the book Wired for Story and Story Genius. And I actually really like starting with that when I teach because I think it's kind of a pretty cool framework to think about why we need story evolutionarily, right? But this is something else. Mm -hmm. That that might be a different topic. But, um, and and so this is kind of, um, I read somewhere, somebody was talking in a therapeutic context. On the internet. Yes, on the internet, which has actually been a little bit of a problem with the podcast because I'm like, how do I pull up something legit to talk about? Um, and so we're going to, we'll we'll get there to the legit, but I, w- I just want to kind of put out the idea that I heard, which is a- about kind of resetting um, your neurological framework or whatever, and they call it memory reconsolidation. What are the things you call talk about? Well, I kept thinking you were talking about reframing,
0: which is... A slightly different thing this is
1: sort of nlp and then, tony robbins
0: right so nlp a lot of tony robbins is nlp right um and so there's the reframing which is more about like addressing a belief and reframing that belief mm-hmm. uh there's pattern interrupt which i think fits a little bit with what you're saying and then there's something else called timeline therapy right so tell so,
1: so you've, you've defined slight you know in this encapsulated way um, reframing, right? So you take some belief and you reframe it. Mm-hmm. You want to give a quick example? I want you to do this for these three terms. Well, for example,
0: since I'm having a midlife crisis, I'll use some of my own beliefs, right? So How
1: long have you been having a midlife crisis for? Well,
0: I've been having a midlife crisis since I was 12. Yeah. It's an so extended one. You're, you're
1: good one. at it. You know,
0: it turns out that anxiety is supposed to end in a very short period of time, but you can keep freaking yourself out, right? So you can still have an anxiety attack for like an hour, but it's not the same one. And I've been having uh, a midlife crisis for about 38 years, but it's not the same one. So. You're renewing it. I am. It's like
1: a library book.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So, a reframe is perhaps I say something like, I'm too old to. Have a midlife crisis. <laughs> <laughs> to have a midlife crisis. <laughs> I'm too old to start a new career. Okay. Um, I'm too old to do the worm in the middle of a dance circle, say. I'm too old to know what the worm is. <laughs> no, because you're younger than me. So anyway. So those, is, that, is that a
1: reframe? No, that's not a reframe. So that's <laughs> the
0: belief. So you might reframe it instead of saying I'm too old to do this thing. You then think about like, well, the truth is I have a huge amount of experience that ideally suits me or will, will, um, support me in, I now know how to learn quickly. I now know how to engage with certain things in certain ways. And I have a great work ethic because of, you know, what I've had to do to get where I am now. So it's not that I'm too old to start a new career. It might be that, um, you know, I'm at this age, I suffer fools gladly. Uh, I am at, you know, so everything that brought me to this point actually makes me well primed for taking on a new project
1: all right and just to say since we're so we're going to look at how these apply to story mm-hmm. and that seems very clear that you you know the the, the belief is the limit is a limiting belief mm-hmm. and in a story the character goes usually has a limiting belief and goes on some kind of journey that presses on that limiting belief mm-hmm. and that limiting belief is there for a good reason right there's a lot of reasons why that limiting belief exists it's Mm -hmm. protecting you know from the past i mean it's all connected to therapy for whatever
0: reason i'm thinking about um cars (laughs) three
1: of course you are tell tell us
0: well in you know over the course of that story we have lightning mcqueen who had been the star and of course his evolution over the course of that movie is to become a mentor right and so he's got to reframe success
1: Which might be related to why I'm too old to change my career. Yes, I think that's why I thought of it. Yeah. All right. So, um, okay. So and, And I want to say as we move through this, just up front in case I forget to say it later, and maybe we'll talk about this more, but that story engages these same things that therapy engages and that I think we need as humans in order to change, survive, thrive right and that that's the reason why both story and therapy and probably other heightened experiences of life kind of engage these ideas like like re like these ideas again and again come up in story right because they're about human beings changing and they come up in therapy because therapy is about human beings changing changing and surviving mm-hmm. right and stories about changing and surviving so there's a reason these are related but they just I think help us as writers, to understand deeply these mechanisms of character and plot. So, so that the first one we did was called Reframe. Reframing. Reframe. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the second one
0: was the pattern interrupt.
1: And what I always think of is Tony Robbins talking about somebody being like, I'm so sad, boo-hoo. And he like throws a glass of water in their face. hmm <laughs> and, and they're so shocked they they stop right. crying. <laughs> right. You're always just like, oh, You did what? They paid you how much? <laughs> right.
0: So in that instance, and that's a great example that he gave, um, what's happening is there's a behavior or an action that is sort of our unthinking go-to for something. So um, we, in that one, she was expecting perhaps him to be like, you know what, it's going to be okay. You're really going to get through this. I believe in you. And instead what she got was a glass of water in the face. And that stopped her from running the whole pattern, right? So you end up, you're traveling down a neural pathway and then it's blocked. And you, again, are anticipating a certain outcome, a hug, some love,
1: and you get something else. And this was, I think, what was exciting about the post that I saw that I can't quote directly, but that basically was, you know, was a therapist suggesting that um, surprise is what, what changes sort of neural patterns. Mm-hmm. Again, I know the language isn't all that familiar to me, and, and I may be having it slightly wrong, but the idea to me and the idea that surprise, you know, like a surprise is not just, I mean, like a surprise is the thing that will cause the change, and a big surprise is something that's not just different from what you expect. Like a surprise is something that's different from what you expect, and a big surprise is something that's the opposite of what you expect. Mm-hmm. And these are really deep story ideas. Right. Right. So that's like surprise. I just did a whole camp on surprise, right? Surprise is a surprise. Really, surprise is a very important part of uh, story. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if it's because if we're somehow using reading, you know, l- using other people's experiences that we get lost in and in, in a dream state to maybe even change our own neural pathways. Like, I wonder if you can change your, your neural pathway by reading about somebody and thinking something... You're thinking something's going to happen, and then you get surprised, and, like, that's the pleasure, right? I mean, surprise is a huge pleasure in reading. Yeah. And really on all levels. Like, even if you want to be on the, like, totally poetic level, it's What like, kind of tea are you drinking? It's a surprising word. Are you wanting some? No. Anyway, I just thought that was really cool. Uh-huh. So, okay, so pattern interrupt. So it is is the surprise. is surprising mm-hmm. your expectation. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, again, that's something really, that's sort of my key thing, is like this story is about surprising expectation as well. Okay. Right? Yeah. So I just, I wondered if that kind of had this deeper um, reason why we need story. Why we love, why do we love being surprised in story and not often so much in life?
0: Well, The consequences are lower, right? And I think everything that I've heard about the brain is that it it tries to be efficient. So it doesn't change its expectations until it's kind of radically corrected, Mm -hmm. right? So, and you can imagine, like, if you had to stop and think about almost anything we do every time you did it, you just wouldn't get that much done. You'd be like, great, how do I stand up? But and if so, you have a
1: completely wrong perception, that's dangerous. So you have. So as soon as there's, as soon as you're shocked by a misperception, you have to change. Right, you're forced to change. Right.
0: So and you know there are all kinds of things that can do that. Like you know the moment when um, you know I've been dealing with physical pain, right, and so the expectation to not have pain right stays with you for a period of time and so you still occasionally like run into this thing where you're like oh that's not what my body wanted to do right then and then I think when you recover your body's anticipating pain so you still are you know so it's all about that anticipation what you expect right to happen um and then those gives you the opportunity to have a a different perspective
1: but do you see how that's what we engage with every time we watch a movie read a Mm -hmm. book so it's like there must be a reason why that quality is so key to storytelling. Well, I guess I don't know. I mean, the Lisa Cron thing is sort of if we only learned by experience, we would be dead, right? Like if we if if, if we the way we learned Don't Pet the Lion was only by every single person trying to pet the lion, then, right, we would, we, wouldn't, we would not survive. I would probably
0: argue that we have a pre-verbal set of warning signals when we see
1: a lion. We
0: don't have to be told, don't pet the lion.
1: I don't know. Think about children. Think about, like, don't run in the street. Think about, I mean, I think there's a lot that happens through story. A lot that happens through story in terms of warning and guiding mm-hmm. behavior. So, and I do think it's a survival mechanism. I mean, the whole asynchronous thing is why? Why would we, in addition to the kind of clear survival skills we have, be able to tune out the world and lose ourselves in a story of various kinds for hours at a time? What, how, what evolutionary purpose could that serve? Because it seems like it could be counter evolutionary to be well, to tune out the world. Well, um,
0: that makes an assumption that every part of our process serves a. Pro- purpose. Yes. Like I think there are things that are you know have evolved but weren't 100% because those evolutions met a criteria that kept us alive. I mean it could be that there's something else in the way our brain is structured mm-hmm. and one of the side effects of the structure that is evolutionarily critical is story.
1: <laughs> like, okay. The title for today's episode is Story is a side effect. Yes. <laughs> Angie, I'm like I wanna argue that story is absolutely one of the crucial top three necessities of human survival. And Angie wants to argue that story is a side effect. I'm not arguing <laughs> story is a side effect, but
0: I think I you know, I I struggle sometimes uh... because I think sometimes we're like, you know, one, neurology and, you know, neuroscience are like buzzwords right now. And so... That's pe- good
1: for me because my book's about neurology.
0: Yeah. And keep, so... Keep the buzz going. Keep neurology. the buzz going. But, it, you know, there's... Like, when you talk about, like, scientific theory, right, and, and the process of observe, you know, create a hypothesis, test your hypothesis... Um, you know, amend your hypothesis. You know, there's a whole scientific mm-hmm. process there. Yeah. It assumes that there is such a thing as any form of observation where there is no bias because we construct these things and we pretend that there is no bias. You know, we would say, this is an unbiased process, observation. Observation in and of itself is biased. There's no way to observe something without a bias. So all I'm actually saying is, with regard to story... We have a bias because we find it entertaining and engaging, but why would we make, you know, uh, opiate receptors in our brain that react so extremely to certain kinds of chemical interaction? Like, what is the evolutionary process to be primed for heroin? Oh, this is so
1: depressing. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Okay. I acknowledge that it's a story, but I need a story about how we need story. Okay. I just... I just so let's move on so to number three. So why not? Three. Why not? So the third one... We may need heroin, but we also need story. Well, you well, know... Well, we need things that absorb and entertain us, and story might be healthier than heroin.
0: Absolutely. Why I'm mean? just saying, like, I don't think our brains were designed for heroin use, but heroin use is something that is very attractive to a lot of brains. So...
1: I just yes okay but moving on you had a third so there was there was reframe reframe pattern Pattern, interrupt interrupt. and then there's another one called timeline
0: therapy where I think you kind of go back and I don't know as much about that one but I think the idea is that you sort of rewrite the
1: story that you tell yourself which right well and that's a huge part um, of um sort of story right a lot of stories and in fact Donald Moss sort of rails against this but a lot of stories have a protagonist who has to reevaluate the past. You know, revisit the past. Think, you know, like kind of, kind of re, re tell the past. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just interesting that all of these things, you know, I'm sure they all have co- 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 uh correlations with drugs as well, but they all have correlations with story. And um since our podcast is called Storymaker Show, I thought they might be of interest to the Storymakers listening to us. <laughs>
0: And, <laughs> and then in that case, you're also talking about meaning, right? I think for me, right. for me, I think m- maybe there's a possibility this story isn't just about teaching each other something. Mm-hmm. Because Lord knows we've all read really boring directions.
1: Well, and we don't remember them. That's why we right. need story to make it interesting or heroine. But story also (laughs) this podcast is not advocating drug use. It is advocating story. Meaning, it is advocating meaning. So,
0: all I'm saying is that I think that it gives meaning to experiences in a different way. So, if you're going to look at, um, you know, we've talked about Viktor Frankl and and logotherapy. And and we need because, and again, this could also be a side effect of our you know, the human brain's evolution, but we're aware of our mortality and how that impacts our choices from day to day, the stresses we feel, the things we're supposed to get done. You know, when you are closer to day-to-day survival, I'm not sure. You, we, the brain might, you know, people might spend some time in that going. You know, what am I doing with my life? Am I really making the most of it? Like that might be questions people who have to, like, spend ten hours a day. Or they might be water. like, "How can
1: I more efficiently get water?" Right. right. That's probably you know.
0: Right. So it's. I'm just saying, like, when you when you're at these sort of different levels of you know privilege, frankly, you have different kinds of existential crises.
1: I think. Um, but I could be wrong. I don't know. I well, mean you've been at different levels of privilege. Have your existential crises changed in nature depending on how close to the survival line you were? Well, I think, like...
0: Oddly, you know, when I was living in a warehouse and living on, like, 85 cents a day with my girlfriend at the time, there were ways in which I wasn't really thinking too terribly deeply about, like, where my life was headed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I bet you were. But, you know, you were also very young.
0: Right. And so it could have been a function of my age as well. I mean, uh, yeah. So I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> I think my larger point being that story...
1: But that's maybe because you were thinking more about how, so where is my day headed. Right. How am I going to get... My 85 cents.
0: Downtown and right that sort of thing. Anyway, I just, I do think, whatever else, I think story gives meaning. One, it reinforces the status quo if you're not careful. Yeah, absolutely. And it slash builds community. Right. But they're, which are somewhat, sometimes related. Right. Um, and then I think it also constructs meaning. So, uh, you know, it's interesting, like when you look at, kinds of stories that are getting more and more uh, play. So, you know, you look at, you look at film history, right? And, um, you know, after World War II, the kinds of movies that were being made in the European countries that had been basically blown apart were different than what was happening in the U.S. in terms of um, just, you know, there was definitely like a post-war noir happening in the US but at the same time you're you're busting out into technicolor and musicals and these whole other you know things and then you know just before that you have the italian neorealists who are like all right we've got a camera and some ruins let's make a film and then um you know so it's it's the environment is different. And so the stories you tell don't just express something about learning something. It's, it's also like, uh, what happens when, um, you know, what is it that you're teaching someone whose home has been blown apart and the stories you're telling are about the real challenges those people face in in light of
1: that so you're not teaching like how to you're you're teaching sort of how to survive like emotionally Mm -hmm. as opposed to right you know but the other thing i just just this other piece and with really really time for still this but so the thing about ebooks is that you often can't tell (laughs) ebooks okay is that you often can't tell how close to the end you are and it's one of the real problems about them and in fact they put in you can sort of say what percentage you have right. left how many hours you have left or the page number like there's lots of things you can do but one of the satisfactions of a book analog of, of an analog book paper that stuff is that you can tell how close to the end you're getting and I think that there's, that there's a relationship between story and what you were talking about this this the knowing that we're going to die the knowing mm. that there's an end and it just I think this could be a whole other topic but you know and you're talking about the history of story and cinema and whatever and I'm thinking, you know there was this period where, the like for example sitcoms would just reset reset and they I mean they somewhat still do but like but then and even hour long things would like reset it would just be like be about, everything's the same like this thing happened and now everything's back to how it mm. was and then I I remember, um. The, anyway, I remember a show that was um, where it shifted, where it started to, where, it, where like, people that were major could die, and, like, everything changed and changed and changed again. There'd be these reveals, and the whole show would, like, turn a huge corner because of that reveal. Is that 30-something? <laughs> no! I'm, t- I'm totally blocking it, but it was... Um, J- uh, Jennifer... Oh my god, this is, okay, this is, like, to, my brain's totally caught back there, because she's now really super famous, she was married to, oh my god, I'm just so old, like, all Jennifer my friends. Jennifer Aniston? No, 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 like, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Lee? No, no, okay, Goodwill Hunting. Matt Damon? And? Minnie Driver? No. The ben Affleck? Guys, yeah, she was married to Ben Affleck. Jennifer Garner. <laughs> Thank you. See, I said Jennifer. I was going to say she was in Felicity, but that was like even older. Well, it's not even older, but you know what I mean. Right. Alias. Thank you. Alias. <laughs> <laughs> That's like charades. I know. Right. Nothing
0: is more fun than a radio <laughs> version of charades.
1: <laughs> Sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> Alias was that like, to me, I mean, you know, I'm sure this happened like, 50 million years before that because like, we always are like look this is the first time it happened and it was like no you were just 25 but um, you know it, it would change it changed it was like we'd have there be some revelation it would be completely different and it would just stick and it was like really exciting and I feel mm. like now that's just so much more the norm right and, um, and I'm just curious about the relationship between that and our more awareness of our mortality <laughs> but I do think that's another topic okay Great. it's time for steal this Amateur poets borrow. Professional Professional poets poets steal. steal. What have you come across in your readings and wanderings, travels and trials that you would like to take? And make your own. You go. Well, I just read Amy Bender's The Particular Sadness of a Lemon Cake, which I actually really loved. And um, uh, what do I want to steal from it specifically? Uh, So, well, one of the things I wanted to note about it is that there's like Sort of, you know the thing, the idea, there's that rule that like you can sort of have one unbelievable thing Mm -hmm. happen in a narrative. So this has sort of two unbelievable things, but they get connected. It turns out that it becomes one. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and essentially, I don't want to... pterodactyl and... Well, what it is, is like, there's one character who has, I mean, that's, this isn't really a spoiler, this first one, but like, so there's one character who... At, at Starting at the age of nine, she, when she eats food, she can taste the emotions of the people involved in preparing the food, including the people who picked the A kind of synesthesia. I guess, but like deep psych, psych, uh, psychic yeah. kind of synesthesia. And, um, and it's very complicated in her life and blah, blah, blah. Well, her brother turns out to have his own complications. And eventually you learn it's like a family thing, mm. family trait to have mm-hmm. some kind of weirdness. Really fascinating, mm-hmm. actually, really cool, and I think. And what did you learn from it? So I learned that you can have two weird things if you tie them together into one weird thing. Is that what the story was about? The weird thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it was so it was about. I mean, so it was about what it, what it's like to accommodate your difference. I think, mm-hmm. and um, and the and different ways of accommodating it, and um, and some differences being more survivable than others, and mm-hmm. more accommodatable, mm-hmm. and. Um, I mean I guess that's what I think it was about. And what I what I one of the things I I, mean, I one of the things I loved about it is that it um, everything else about it was sort of reality based, you know, and it was I, like I sort of and the character and the emotions and everything was like completely relatable. But and then there was this one weird thing, but it was you know, it was really cool. It was almost like a superpower except that it's super troubling, right? If you're eating food and you can tell the emotions of the people. Because the if they're negative, then it tastes terrible.
0: Did meat come up in this? Like, did she ever dead
1: flesh? Well, I mean, I'm wondering, did she ever feel the feelings of the animals? Animals. She did not bring that up. I don't think at all, as far as I can tell. In fact, and she talks about making a pot roast, but she doesn't talk about that at all. It's like the, it's more about the yeah. It's not about the feelings of the food itself. It's about the feelings of the people. It's human.
0: It know. really is. That I know, but works. I hear that.
1: But I'm just saying, you know. That's a different book. You could write that. You could steal that. Anyway, um, yeah. So I don't know. I think um, I I think I haven't thought through what I want to steal. It just happens to be the thing I just read. But mm. um, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, I think this week I reset my relationship with Challenge. and um, by, by camping out in the pouring rain? Yeah. And it was really interesting because, um, I think I mentioned this to you already, by the last night we were there, it had finally cleared up enough for us to have a fire. So we had a fire. Oh my gosh. And you know, it was a group fire and, you know, whatever, da 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 and we had a little covered area where we were cooking and stuff like that. But it was after dinner, we were sitting around, we were by a fire, and it started raining again, right? And I just sat there. Like, the rain wasn't something to run away from. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I've turned into a chimpanzee. Like, I feel like I've seen <laughs> all of those, you know, nature documentaries where the chimpanzees just sort of sitting there in the rain and, you know, it's not so terrible. Even when you don't have the right for fur or the right rain gear, if you're wearing cotton, like if you don't do it much, it is terrible. It's like, oh God, I'm wet, I'm cold and I hate it. And then when you've been doing it and how quickly that changed, right? From, uh, oh, I'm wet and cold to Okay, well, here's the rain. Like it just, you didn't even register after a certain point. And it's that human capacity to acclimate mm. to a variety of situations really quickly. I mean, it's kind of surprising how quickly you can move in that. And so, what I'm taking away this week is sort of a reorientation to challenge. I might never get rid of that voice in my head that says, this is terrible. I might never really feel happy and good about anything I produce.
1: Hmm. But that might be okay. That, is, that seems counter to the I, the adaptation part.
0: Well, I think what I'm trying to say is is that even though we adapt to the environment around us, the things that I'm struggling with are inside of me. Mm-hmm. They're not actually happening to me on the outside Mm. and so what i'm saying with you know that voice in my head that says these things are the rain and i just maybe don't need to get out of the rain Mm. what i maybe need to do is just know that the rain's gonna be there and not freak out about it. and not pay so much attention to the
1: discomfort of that piece
0: yeah So, I want to encourage everyone this week to go out and do something uncomfortable, like put a little rock in your shoe or um, write a story. Write a
1: story or write a story while you have a rock in your shoe. Maybe that could be, at least this week's uh, sign off can be go be uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. Go be uncomfortable.